Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. I'd invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 this morning. Uh, by the way, I'm Travis, if you don't know me. Nice to meet you. One of the pastors here at the church. I hope you had an incredible Christmas, and I hope that you're looking forward to an incredible 2020. Before I dive into the scripture for this morning, though, I just wanted to share some really encouraging statistics. Any of you like statistics? No, huh? Some of you, the math, math geeks out there like statistics. Some statistics, some, some facts from the year 2019 that might encourage you. How many for you, uh, 2019 was like the worst year ever? Okay. How many of you, 2019 was like, awesome, man, let's do that again. All right, good. And, and then a bunch of you are like, it was just like all the other years, right? We can so easily skip past the amazing ways that God shows himself faithful to us. And I want to take a moment just to push pause right now and in this church, share with you some statistics of the things that God did in and through this church this last year. We had a lot of people in community this year. We had uh, 56 people served in family life, 89 people served in life together. Those are some of our peer ministries. Uh, men's group, there were 70 people served. Women's group, I don't have a specific number, but there were tons of women that were served in women's ministry. 326 people in home groups. So awesome how God brought people together to live in life, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, our middle school kids, 193 individual kids were, were served this year. In our high school, 136 individual kids were, were served and loved this year. Do you know that in our Cross Point Kids, CPK, individual, 710 individual children were ministered to this year through people like you who served? But it doesn't end there. Do you know that our Deacons Fund, this fund that we have to help people who are in financial need, you gave over $114,000 this year alone to assist those in need. Did you know that God did that through you? How about this? Just this last Christmas season, 200 coats and pairs of shoes were given just in the Christmas season alone by you to say yes to God to help those who are in need. This one blows me away. Monday Night Church, which is where we feed uh, the homeless in our community, the homeless and the poor in our community, 14,450 meals were served on this campus. Let me say that again. 14,450 meals were served on this campus right across the street in the pavilion, Monday after Monday after Monday. Not only that, but you all know Ralston Tower? It's a... It's a retirement community for those who are in need back here about a couple blocks this way. Ralston Tower, we, we brought over 4,650 meals to them over the course of the year as well. Not to mention the 150 people that were served in the shower shuttle that we have come on campus uh, through the week. Um, 
and almost $230,000 was given through this church to support the spread of the gospel through missions in the world. Almost a quarter of a million dollars. Now, the point of this isn't to pat ourselves on the back, is it? To God be the glory, amen? But here's the thing. God decided to work in this world through this church, and you all said yes. And I wanna say thank you for being that kind of family, for being that kind of people who would do, and that's just this church. Think about all the churches in Modesto. Think about all the churches in California, all the churches in, 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 in the world that said yes to God and the things he was able to do because people said yes to him. I just wanna say thank you, and I wanna encourage you to keep saying yes to God in 2020, that, and, and keep saying yes more than you did this year, amen? He wants to use you, and it's very apparent that he has. Let's keep going, amen? Amen, all right. Uh, moving on, uh, we're beginning next week a new series called Patterns. We're gonna be looking in Genesis and seeing these patterns uh, that God sets up in Genesis that echo throughout scripture. But today, being the, the, the Sunday kind of right before the new year, I wanted to kind of blend a little bit of that, showing you a pattern in scripture that God sets up, to, sets up to say some pretty amazing things. But I wanna blend that with the fact that it is the new year coming up, and that is a mixed bag for us, right? Uh, the very first words of the very first sentence of the very first book of the Bible are this, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. These words being the very first words of scripture are very, very intentional. So you see the first glimpse that we get of God, we see him beginning something new. God is a beginner, not in the sense of that he doesn't know what he's doing, but he's a beginner in the sense that he's always beginning something new. God is a creator. He's constantly beginning, constantly creating things. And, and see, this time of year is brimming with some of us, brimming with hopes for the new year. I'm gonna do it better this year. 2020 is gonna be better. I'm not gonna feel like I did in 2019. I'm gonna lose weight. I'm finally gonna do it. And, and, then, and then a week later, I find myself with like, you know, a tub of ice cream and a spoon, right? And it's brimming with hope for the new year, but it's also brimming, for some of us, the fear of possible failure or probable failure. Does anyone feel me on that? Does anyone feel that, that tension? Yes, it's a new year, but I've had enough new years where I know I'm not gonna do the things I wanted to do. I feel like I'm gonna fail, and I do fail. Not just in starting and stopping things, but I sin. And I do things I don't wanna do. And I don't represent God well, and I don't treat people the way I wanna treat them. And we can have this sense of getting cynical and, and wondering why I should even try. But that is nowhere near God's reaction to our failure and the fact that we're prone to wander, prone to fail. God looks at it differently. God responds differently. You know, when I was a senior in high school, um, I, I had this class called pre-calculus. Just sounds scary. Calculus, ooh, right? Just a scary word. How many of you took calculus and liked calculus? Okay, you can leave now. Um, no, no, you're welcome to. You guys are awesome. You're the ones that keep our world turning. But the word calculus, even if it's pre-calculus, is just terrifying because it's this math that, it's got imaginary numbers, okay? That's all I need to say about it. It's weird. 
But we're starting this year, and my teacher, my senior year, Mr. Peck, he was so cool. Uh, I was at Johansson. Any other Johansson High School graduates in here? Oh my gosh, I'm the only one? Oh, hi, hey, you, good, good for you. Uh, people do graduate from Johansson High School. Uh, I did. Uh, he was so cool, Mr. Peck, and uh, he started, the very first day of the year, I'll never forget this, the very first day um, of that first uh, day in math class, pre-calculus, he says, look guys, I know that this, this is probably a scary thing for you coming in here doing something that has anything with the word calculus attached to it. I just want you to know, I'm gonna walk you through it. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna do this thing together. I'm gonna lead you, you're gonna follow. We're gonna do this and we're gonna make this happen and we're gonna keep going and going and going until the wheels fall off. And then when the wheels fall off, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna put them back on and we're gonna keep going. And, you know, and then you're gonna hit another ceiling. You're gonna say, I don't remember. I, I don't know how to do this. I'm, I'm done with this math. And he says, and the wheels are gonna fall off again. And guess what we're gonna do when the wheels fall off again? We're, we're gonna put them back on and we're gonna keep going. A math teacher said that. So encouraging. I, I never had a teacher say anything like that. It was more like, hey, you better do your homework or you're gonna fail and you're gonna be you know, a failure in life. And uh, Okay, that's helpful. That's encouraging. But this guy said, I'm not gonna quit on you. You're gonna reach your limit and I'm not quitting on you. We're gonna do this together. We need people like that in our lives, amen? We need people in our lives who are gonna give that truth that yeah, it's gonna be hard, but I'm there with you. And the thing we fail to see though, so often is that we don't see God as that person who's that way. We tend to picture God as as the one who's there waiting, watching with a careful eye saying, are you gonna screw this one up? Are you gonna mess this one up? Because I've seen you do it a million times before. Uh, We'll wait and see, I'm watching. Yeah, I'll forgive you, because I have to. Isn't that how we tend to see God sometimes? I don't know, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just dysfunctional and I tend to see God that way, but I think a lot of people do. But that is not the God of scripture. Certainly, our sin is a big deal and our failure is a big deal and our hurting other people and our disobeying him is not a small thing. It is a large thing. But we have a Father in heaven who's not only holy, he is also forgiving and merciful, and he is loving. What we so often fail to realize is that this is how God looks at our failure, that when the wheels come off, I'm gonna be there with you, and we're gonna put them back on again, and we're gonna keep going. Our sin and our failure is serious, but even in those darkest moments, God's reaction to our failure is not that he quits. God's reaction to our failure is to begin. God is a beginner. He is a creator. And when the wheels fall off, he he begins again. That is what the Bible says, and I'm gonna show you that today. And this is so beautifully illustrated uh, in scripture through this literary pattern that God, our Father, designed into his Bible into this very first book of the Bible, Genesis, he wove into the pages a pattern of echoing words that show us how very serious he is about beginning when we fail. So next week, we're gonna be starting that series called Patterns. We're going to be exploring several of these echoing patterns of words that teach us about the nature of God and of humans and of life here on earth. We're gonna see how the writers of scripture planted these word bombs Uh, that echo and repeat throughout scripture and that when you see them again, it brings you back to something you've read before and it explodes your mind with meaning that's that's more than just the words themselves say and convey.
And, and this, this thing that, is, that the writers do of planting these words here and repeating them over and over, it's called a design pattern. They design a pattern into the pages of scripture to remind us of things that have been said before. And, and design patterns in storytelling have been around for a long time. Even modern cinema, uh, directors are able to, to say things without actually saying them, right? So for instance, let me, let me kind of show you here. Watching an old Western movie. There's two guys out in the middle of a deserted street. They're facing each other. It's high noon. What's about to happen? A showdown, a gunfight, right? How did you know that? Two guys standing in the street, that means they're going to pull guns on each other? In some cities, it might. But, but not, not always. There's nothing intrinsically true about that being the case. How about this one? One of them is wearing a white hat. Who is he? One of them's wearing a black hat. Who's he? Bad guy. Why do you know that? Why does that mean that? Here's another one. On the screen, there's some people out there in a boat having some fun. They're, they're having a good time partying on a boat. And then all of a sudden you hear, da-dun. Da-dun. What's about to happen? A shark attack. Why? Why do you think that? Does that music mean, does it attract sharks? <laughs> okay, and, and here's, here's the most important, like the most important cinematic work in the history of cinema, Star Wars, right? Can I get an amen? amen. Okay. Uh, there's a lightsaber duel happening. If you don't know what a lightsaber is, I pity you. There's a lightsaber duel happening, and there's one guy, and his lightsaber color is red. Who is he? The bad guy. Why? Is the color red bad? Does that make him bad? Why do we know these things? Why do you know the answers to those questions that I just asked you? There's nothing about a person wearing a white hat that intrinsically means that they're good. There's nothing about a person wearing a black hat that means they're bad. There's nothing about two guys standing out in the street facing each other that means there's gonna be a gunfight necessarily. There's nothing about that attracts sharks. What they are is directors have designed a pattern into the movie or the uh, different episodes of movies that you've seen that they've done something and they've repeated it so that they've conditioned your mind to remember something, to think something when you see an image or hear words or hear da da there are artful ways of downloading a lot of information to you with, with not, uh, there, there are artful ways of downloading a lot of information to you with, with just words or an image or a sound. All of a sudden, all this stuff explodes into your mind. The writers of scripture did this as well, mainly through repeated words and phrases. And today, the design pattern I want to explore is, is one that speaks to God's incredibly gracious, never-quitting response to our tries and our fails. His desire to create an environment where even though we fail, we can begin again and even thrive because of his mercy. So first, let's look at the very first time we see God creating an environment for man. This is in Genesis 1. Verse nine. Now, you can read along in your Bibles if you want to, but I'm gonna have all the scripture up on screen today because there's some stuff I've highlighted that I wanna show you in these scriptures. Now, leading up to this, where he's gonna create the, 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 the place for man to live, 
In Genesis, there's this structure that's been set up for the six days of creation. Days one, two, and three, we see God creating environments in which he's going to place things he creates. On day one, he creates night and day, so that on day four, what's he gonna do? He's gonna fill it with stars and moon and sun. Day two, what does he do? He separates the water into clouds above and the seas below, creating sky and oceans, so that in day five, he can place birds in the sky and fish in the ocean. And then on day three, he creates an environment that he's gonna place man and animals into, and then he fills it later with man and animals. So let's read his creation of that day three. This is where God is making an ideal home for man. It says, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. Another word for just land. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth land sprout vegetation, planting yielding seed. Plants yielding seed. So he's, in in the first part of the day, created land, earth, where man is gonna be. And then in the second part of that day of creation, what does he do? He creates plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in in, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. He keeps repeating these words, land, earth, seed, And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, there it is again, according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed. Each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. In this very short paragraph, God writes into it these repeated words over and over and over, more than need to be said. He keeps saying land, 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 or earth. Seed, 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 seed. So these are kind of the two words that encapsulate this day three of creation. And so the pattern is set. In the first part of this creation day, God creates an ideal home for man by receding the waters away and making what he calls land. The Hebrew word is Eretz. Now sometimes it shows up in English as earth, sometimes it shows up as land, sometimes it shows up as ground but it's the same Hebrew word. Sometimes we miss it because the English translations will choose earth or land or ground, but it's all the same word. And the word is repeated four times in this passage. And now the second part of this day focuses on these seed plants. These are the ideal food to make man thrive and live on. And the Hebrew word is zera. It gets translated as seed or offspring. So it can be talking about the seed in a plant or the offspring from someone, their children. Same exact word. And this word gets repeated three times. So the picture this paints is that when God is creating a new beginning for humans, he gives them a place to be and a way to thrive. And the words he uses are land and seed or offspring. And these words used together and repeated are now a design pattern. That when you see them again, They're supposed to make you think back to this passage, day three of creation, where the author describes God creating the ideal environment for mankind to begin. You see, land and seed together in your your mind, if you're a careful reader, goes back to, I feel like I've seen that and repeated over and over before. Where was that? Day three of creation. I wonder what he's saying. 
But you see, in this story of creation, if you keep reading, you'll know that trouble is just around the corner, right? It doesn't just stay in this perfect state for man and woman. Trouble is right there around the corner. You see Adam and Eve rebel against God and and, and seeking to be gods themselves. They break the only rule that God gave them and they eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So sin and failure enter the world because of their rebellion. But even after this rebellion, God's heart of mercy for humans wins out. And you can see an echo of this land and seed beginning for mankind in many of the stories that follow in Genesis, where God uses these words of land and seed to bring us back after failure to a place of new beginning. I want to look at two of these stories specifically. Don't have time to go through all of them because there's a ton. But I want to look at the stories of Noah and I want to look at the stories of Abraham. Believe me, though, even though we're just looking at these two specifically, these new beginning design pattern words are all over the book of Genesis and throughout the Bible. But let's turn to Noah. This is Genesis 7-1. The story of Noah exists. If you, if you read the story of Noah, if you read chapter 6, right leading up to the story of Noah, we know that the story of Noah exists because of huge failure, epic failure, worldwide failure because of human beings and their choices. The whole world has become so corrupt and so violent that God decides to start over. Remember how on day three of creation, God creates a place for man by receding the waters away from the dry land? In this story of Noah, God sends a flood to reverse that creation, and in a way, he uncreates the land by covering it up with water again. But God hasn't given up. He chooses Noah and his family, people who trust and worship him, and he starts again. So he has Noah build a gigantic boat to preserve life, himself and the animals. Read this in Genesis 7, 1 through 5. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, that's that giant boat, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate. And seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring, that's that word seed, alive on the face of the earth. And there we have it, land and seed again. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. So, As careful readers, we see this combination of land and offspring here again. Where have I seen that before? Day three of creation. And what it should do is bring our minds back to that day of creation. What was God doing? Yes, mankind has failed miserably, so violent that God is gonna start over. But instead of quitting, God is thinking about the land and seed environment that man needs to begin again. And so God floods the earth, but with a new land and offspring beginning in mind. We keep reading on in Genesis 8, starting at verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock. So they're in this boat. They're floating. It's been raining forever. The the, the rain is covering over the earth. God remembers Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind. Also, the same word as spirit or breath. Pause real quick. Back in the creation story, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and there's water covering the earth. And what's hovering over the water? The Spirit of God. Same word as wind or breath. So now we have the world covered in water again, and a wind, the Spirit, breath, is hovering over the face of the water. And we say, 
God's about to do something like he did back in Genesis 1. God made a wind blow over the earth, the land, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, and the rain from the heavens were restrained, and the waters receded from the land, earth, continually. This is a recreation of sorts. We see water covering the land and a breath, a wind blowing over the waters, just like in Genesis 1.1. And then after dry land is once again created by receding the waters, what do we see? God putting people there again, just like he did in creation. Noah and his family are now placed on the dry land, being the first family placed there again. And now look at what God says to them, uh, Genesis 9, 8 through 11. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring, your seed after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth, land, with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth, land. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the land, earth. So the author of Genesis wants us to see Noah's story as an echo of day three of creation where God, by receding waters back from the land, creates a land for people to be and seed slash offspring so that they can thrive and continue on. And he uses these repeated words of land and offspring to trigger this memory of Genesis 1. Do you see how it works? Humanity may have failed, but God hasn't given up. He has masterminded a new beginning drawing our minds back to when he created this place for man in the very beginning. So that's for humankind, but what about the failure of just one person? Does God address the failure of just one person? Are there new beginnings for that? Yeah, there are. If we look at Genesis 12, 4, we'll meet a man named Abram, also known as Abraham. Now, right before the story of Abraham, humankind has horribly failed once again, just like Adam and Eve, Seeking to be great, this massive civilization of people decided to build a tower to heaven, believing that by doing so, they will become gods themselves, trying to replace God once again, just like Adam and Eve did. And so God confuses their languages and scatters them across the earth so that they can't finish. But he doesn't give up. He picks one family Abram's family to start again. He tells Abram to take his family and reestablish themselves in the land we now know today as Israel. Because Abraham trusts God, he goes. Now look at what Genesis 12, four says. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. He's repeating that word. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, seed, I will give this land. And again, our minds should jump back to the first place where we saw this combination of land and seed repeated over and over and again. Day three of creation. Once again, God is giving humans a new beginning. But if you're tempted to think this is because Abram never made mistakes, think again. Abram did some really shady stuff. And he failed miserably. There's a story about Abraham. There's a famine in the land. And so he takes his, all the people that were with him, his wife and, and all his family that were with him, and they go to Egypt to, uh, to try to just wait out the famine. 
But while he's there, he's afraid that they'll kill him and take his wife from him because they think she's beautiful. So instead of claiming her as his wife, what does he say? She's my sister. And so the king of Egypt takes her into his house to be a wife or a concubine, one of those two. And Abraham lets all this happen to save his own neck. That, that's, that's not good. Like, sometimes I think we read stories like that in the Bible and we're like, well, that's just the way it was back then. No, it was really bad back then too. Like, you don't let someone take your wife and say she's your sister just to save your own neck. Like, that's really bad really bad. It was beyond immoral to allow this to happen, to use Sarah to save his own neck, his wife Sarah. But after this is found out, the king of Egypt spares Abram's life and sends him away. And you might assume that at this point, God would say, man, I really picked the wrong guy. What a mess. But God didn't quit on Abram. In the very next chapter, after Abraham's gigantic failure, look at what God says to him, Genesis 13, 14 through 15. The Lord said to Abraham, Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring, seed, forever. God takes us back to day three of creation again. I'm beginning again. You failed, but I'm beginning again. Not only does God re-up his promise in calling Abraham, but he does so by hyperlinking once again back to day three of creation. Abram, just like I did when I began this world, I'm creating for you a land where you and your offspring can thrive. We're starting again. And you might say, okay, that was just a gimme. Abraham made one mistake, and so God gives him a chance to start over. Because you all know that the way that human beings are, we make one mistake, we learn from it, we never do it again. Am I right? No. In Genesis 20, Abram does the exact same thing again. He goes into another land, I think it was King Abimelech, and he does the same thing. She's my sister, not my wife. Abimelech takes her. It's the same thing over again in, in, in Genesis 20. We don't need to go into that. Let's go to Genesis 16. This is even maybe worse. In Genesis 16, when Abraham and Sarah haven't had a child yet, God's promised them a child to have offspring that will grow to the, like the stars in the sky. They think it's never gonna happen. And so Sarah forces her servant, Hagar, to be Abraham's wife so that she'll have a child, Hagar will have a child by, that Abraham and Sarah can claim as their own offspring to force the promise of God to happen. So they force Hagar to become Abraham's wife. She becomes pregnant and she has a son, but then Sarah gets jealous of her and guilts Abraham into sending her away. So they use a woman to have offspring and then they abandon her. This isn't an oops moment. This is horrible. Again, well, they did things like that, but it's horrible. This is not okay. And there were serious consequences because they did this for Abraham and Sarah. But still, God did not quit. 
Just a chapter later, right after this horrible, sinful failure, God once again says to Abram, Genesis 17, seven through eight, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring, seed, after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring, seed, after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring, your seed, after you, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God once again, land and seed. Abraham, I have a day three creation, new beginning for you. You've failed, but I'm not done with you. Church, I could go on and on with this land and seed pattern, these words that God uses throughout Genesis and throughout the Old Testament to trigger in us a remembrance back to day three of creation where God is gonna make something new, create again, make a new beginning happening. They're all over the place. In Genesis alone, those words come together 22 times. In the Old Testament, 57 times in total. And this is only counting the times those two words happen in the same verse. If you count the same passages, it's way more than that. All throughout scripture, God unceasingly plants these little reminders of his intentions to finish with us, to begin again when we fail. But I want to show you one more that shows us why God will keep beginning again. The basis for his forgiveness, the basis for his mercy. In Isaiah 53, This is a prophecy predicting that Jesus will suffer and die on a cross. It was prophesied hundreds of years before it happened to striking detail of what happened to Jesus when he was being abused and beaten and nailed to a cross to pay the penalty for our sin and our failure. Look at this, Isaiah writes this, Isaiah 53, verses seven through 10. He, Jesus, was oppressed and he was afflicted Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he, Jesus, was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus. He, God the Father, has put him, Jesus, to grief. When his soul, when Jesus' soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. Seed. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Land and seed. Here it is again in the promise of Jesus. God doesn't quit when he sees our failure. Why? Because our failure was paid for by Jesus. Jesus was cut off from the land of the living, but was raised again and will see his what? Offspring. Who are his offspring? Everyone who trusts him and comes into the family of God by faith. And we think back to Genesis 3 again. What is God doing here through this prophecy of Jesus? He wants us to think about day three of creation 
I'm creating a home for my people. I'm creating a place for them to be and a way for them to strive, thrive. How? Through Jesus. Through Jesus, we have a place to belong and a way to thrive. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this pattern and this promise. And it is only by trusting in Jesus and surrendering our lives fully to him that we receive the promise of unending beginnings. Friends, this repetition of this land and offspring pattern, land and seed thing, it's not a coincidence. It didn't just happen. It is narrative genius. God writing a genius pattern into scripture to keep reminding us of his character that he shows us back in Genesis 1. God, through the writers of scripture, is trying to get our attention and keep drawing our attention back to Genesis 1 to drill into our heads and our hearts some very important truths about God and about us. And here are the truths that he wants to teach us through this pattern. First one, the character of God. What is the character of God? He loves us and he loves new beginnings. Not because we deserve it, but because it's who he is. Do you deserve chance after chance after chance after chance with God? I don't. None of us have any entitlement to that. God doesn't give us mercy and forgiveness because we deserve it. He gives it to us because it's who he is. It is his nature to love and forgive and to not quit and to begin again. It is his nature that guarantees this promise to us. The second thing we learn is this, God's view of failure. What does God think when he sees our failure? Here's what this says. It says that failure is not the end. My sin is serious, and yet God is very serious about his commitment to finish what he's started in me and in you. Is your sin serious? Is your rebellion against God serious? Yes, Jesus had to die for it. But God is very serious about forgiving that sin and very serious about not quitting and not giving up on you, but taking it to the end with you. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He does not give up on us. And here's the third thing that we need to remember, the truth that we get from this pattern in scripture. It's about my response to failure. What do I do when I see my failure? It's this, failure is not a reason to quit. It is a reason to begin. Beginning things is what God does. Will you join him in it? We are all very aware of our nature to start and to fail, to try and to fail. If you're not aware of it yet, live a few more years, you will be. We're aware of this nature to start and fail, especially in this season of resolutions. I think it gets to an all-time high. We say, I'm gonna do better in New Year. It's gonna be different. This New Year's gonna be different. Some of us have just given up on that because we're like, no, it's not. We become cynical because we've tried things and we've failed and we've, we've messed up so many times. 
But our Father's nature is to meet us in the midst of the failure and to start again. Not because our sin isn't a big deal, but because his love and mercy and his desire to begin again is a very big deal. This is life with a gracious God, not endings, just a long series of beginnings. A long series of God picking us up, dusting us off, putting the wheels back on and saying, let's keep going. I forgive you, let's keep going. I know you failed. I know you're broken. I know you hurt people. I forgive you. Let's put the wheels back on, let's keep going. I know this is the hundredth time you promised me you'd never do that again, and you did it again. I get it, you failed. The wheels fell off, put them back on. Let's keep going. I forgive you. Take another step. Keep moving forward. That is the heart of your Father in heaven. People always make predictions for the new year. And in 2020, I'm gonna accurately predict three things. It's 100% gonna happen. Do you believe me? I don't know, you might wanna hear them before I... Here are my 2020 predictions. And I think they're 100% accurate. Number one, you will try some things. I'm 100% so far, I got it, right? Number two, you will fail at some things. Am I 100% so far? Yeah. This third one's the most important. Three, God will be there with you every single time. These are predictions that if you come to me on the last day of 2020, you're gonna come up to me and say, Travis, it's true. Because I tried some stuff. I failed at some stuff. But God was always with me. He met me in those dark moments and he promised me and he brought to me a new beginning. May have been tough, there may have been consequences, I may have gone through hell, but he did not leave me. He did not forsake me. We started again. That is what God promises you and it's right there in the pages and the words of scripture. He begins again and again and again. I'd like to ask the prayer team to come forward. There may be some people in this room who haven't begun with the first beginning, which is surrendering your life to Jesus. If you've lived your life and you've tried and failed and tried and failed and you're kind of here today saying, man, I'm not sure what the next step is because I'm not sure what my life's supposed to be about. I don't know what the plan is for my life and I'm not sure what to do. If you've never given your life to Jesus, that's your next step, period, end of story. These new beginnings start when you begin with Jesus and he wants to save you, he wants to forgive your sin. But that only happens when we put our trust in him and we surrender to him in faith and say, Jesus, you are my king, I trust you and I will follow you. And he saves us by grace because we put our faith in him because the love of God is overwhelming. So if that's you, today when we close, I want you to come forward and talk to one of these people. They'd love to pray with you, love to introduce you to Jesus. Or maybe today you just need encouragement because 2019 or even this week has just been a rough time. 
and you need some encouragement, or maybe you're just brimming over with hope and excitement, come forward and share that with them. They'd love to hear that too. Whatever you need, if you need some prayer, we'd love you to come forward when we end and pray. But I just wanna tell you this, church, God has been faithful to us as a church and to you individually in 2019, and he's not gonna stop that. He loves you, he's gonna stick with you, and he will always, always, always forgive and begin again. Do not quit when you fail. When you fail, begin. Amen? Let me pray. God, you're good, and your mercy is unbelievable. We accept that, we accept your truth, we accept your forgiveness, we accept your desire to not quit with us, but to begin again. We thank you for all that you've done and you will do, and we ex expect you to do great things and even greater things in this next year. We, we thank you, and to you be all the praise, glory, and honor for all that you've done and you will do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Happy New Year. We'll see you next year.